if my mama knew that I was bringing a bottle of water into the sanctuary, I'd be in so much trouble. She wouldn't let me do that when I was little. Of course, we didn't have bottled water back in those days. Had to go to the well to get it, right? (laughs) Well, we are, my family, we're two-thirds finished with the summer of moves. That's where I was last week, and summer hasn't even started yet. Two Saturdays ago, we moved Ben from his apartment or the house that he was living in with three other guys when he, while he was going to North Georgia College. He graduated yesterday. Uh, I'm not going to brag or say anything about the fact that he graduated summa cum laude. <clears throat> um, yeah, good for Ben. Now he's going to move to Illinois. We're going to move him and in August. We're going to move him. And Anna graduated from uh, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor with her master in music clarinet performance. She starts her new job in Putney, Vermont tomorrow, and we moved her over this last week from Ann Arbor to Brattleboro because there is nothing in Putney, Vermont. Nothing. (laughs) Really. And then we moved her to Brattleboro, then we drove back to Ann Arbor and went to her graduation where she graduated, got her degree. Like I said, not going to brag about her never having made a B ever in her life on a report card. Not going to mention that. And then we left her graduation about 5 p.m., drove until 4 in the morning and got down to Ben's graduation and and saw him and and we did all of that and and here we are. In the middle of it, I caught the junk that you guys have been having forever. I had laryngitis for two days. Renee smiled so big those two days. I don't understand. And so I don't know where the voice is going, so here we are. Uh, It was an interesting week, though. It It was a very, very interesting week. Beyond the fact that, and I'm learning what some of you have already learned, you know, guys in particular, when your little girls grow up and they're not students anymore, now they're going off to the work world and they're on their own. And I know there'll always be my little girl and they'll always need things, especially money, <clears throat> that, they, that they always need things. But at the same time, they're, they're not your little girl anymore. They make their own decisions. And sometimes when you tell them to do things, they look at you like you've got six heads and you know that they're not going to do it. So you just need to shut up and move on because she is a woman now and can do her own thing. And beyond the fact of that, it's the fact that we were in Vermont. Have your folks ever been to Vermont? Vermont, Vermont is a strange place. I'd never visited it before. I'd never been in any place like it. Normally when you see a picture of some place, you'll get a picture of Macon and it shows the old historic antebellum homes, you know. So you go and you see Macon and the old historic antebellum homes that are on what, about two streets in Macon? And then you have Macon, you know, and it's like that everywhere. Atlanta's the same way. doesn't matter where you go. You've got this area that looks like the postcards and then you've got everywhere else. In Vermont, every where looks like everywhere. That is the most beautiful place I have ever been in my life. Every time you turned a curve, there was another postcard staring you in the face. The place was beautiful. Mountains everywhere. It is still winter there. One of the ponds was still frozen over. I am not kidding you. Still had ice on this thing. Banks of snow still sitting on the, in the shade where the sun hadn't gotten to it yet. 
crazy, crazy place. Beautiful streams, clear water, all of this stuff. But the thing that threw me for the loop was the fact that it's full of hippies. No, really. No, really, hippies. People that, that look like me, you know? Back when in the 60s, late 60s and early 70s, those people are still there. They're just old. Not kidding. There were, I, I saw like two black people and I saw two Hispanic people and somebody told me they were some Asians and then everybody else looked like me with long hair. It was weird. And the thing was is, is seeing them and I, I understand Vermont and I'm not making fun of them. This is who they are. It's who they want to be. And the way they operate there is they, they, they live in a place where they can live like they want to live. And they do. And they expect you to live like you want to live, and you will. And we will help each other. I may not agree with you, may not even like you that much, but we're still going to help each other because we live in this place that's going to have like 90 feet of snow this winter. And if we don't help each other, we'll die. So we're going to get along, and we're going to help each other. But I'm going to do my thing, and you do your thing, and let's don't mess with anybody. All the churches flew rainbow flags, including the First Baptist Church. There was one church that was different. They had a street sign that said, Sinners Wanted, Advancement Opportunities Available. <laughs> On the other side, it had Divorced People Welcome. I saw those signs and I thought, that is a church I do not even want to walk in the door. I know their heart's in the right place, but their sign is saying, We are like this, please fit in. I just, no. And then as you walked around this place, I kept thinking over and over, how do you reach people like this? What do you do with the gospel in a place like this? I mean, I, I stand up here and I say, we're going to change the world. That's what First Baptist is going to do is, is we're going to change the world. And then I'm looking at these folks and then I'm listening to what's going on in Baltimore and in New York. And while I was up there trying to stay awake one night as we're driving, I'm listening to talk radio and they're interviewing this guy that they're going to demonstrate in Detroit, which by the way, Ann Arbor is here and Detroit's right beside it. And they're going to have a demonstration in Detroit and they're going to have demonstrations in Atlanta. And I'm hearing all this stuff going on. How do you reach these people? What in the world do you do? You've got folks, you've got folks that want to destroy the world on this side, and you've got folks on this side that are just as happy as they can be. Thank you very much. Life is great. You've got folks on this side who have absolutely no hope, don't see of any hope, there'll never be any hope. The people on this side, they've got hope. Everything's good. Life's, life's going on grand. Folks on this side that know absolutely no love whatsoever full of hate, full of anger, talk about love but don't really know love. Folks on this side that are my generation, peace, love, and happiness, everything's good. We all love each other, love, love, love. That's what we had. How do you reach that? How in the world do you reach that? And I, I hope you look at me and think that I'm sort of an upbeat, optimistic kind of, yeah, we can do this kind of person but I'm telling you, as I'm not kidding you, as I'm going through Vermont, I'm feeling defeated. How do you do this? What do you do to change this world, this world that I'm walking in in Vermont and, and Baltimore? And what do I do? And then I realized, as defeated I was, as defeated as I was, 
that there was nothing I could do to change any of that, that's when I realized, you know what? That's exactly how I need to feel because there is nothing I can do. And that's where I had to get to. Scripture's John 15. John 15, 1 through 9 is the full scripture this morning. And we're going to talk about this. John 15, 1 through 9. Jesus is talking here. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. When I was a kid, vines were very important to us. Across the street from my granddaddy's house, I probably told you this a billion times, I'll tell you a billion more. When I was a kid across the street from granddad's house, there were thousands of open acres of, of, of woods, just thousands of acres, before Atlanta swallowed us up. And we'd go out and play in those woods, and every now and then we'd get the idea, we'd start testing the vines around the creek. There was a creek back there called Silver, Silver Creek. We thought it was a pretty good-sized creek, but after seeing the creeks in Vermont, it was just a little tiny puny thing. About this deep uh, to get down to the creek bed, and then there was a little water in the bottom, and it was, you, know, you could fish in it a little bit. It was pretty fun. But we had vines growing and we would get those vines and we'd test them to see if they'd hold us up. And then we'd cut the vines loose and we'd get back as far as we could and we'd run as fast as we could and swing up over the creek and then swing back. And we'd just spend the day doing this kind of stuff. It was a blast. We had one time, the, the thing I can remember is one of our guys swung up and I guess we didn't test the vine quite good enough, you know. He got right at the very tip top of the, of the climb when the vine let go and he went down into the creek and splashed into the water. We all laughed because we knew his mother was going to kill him when he got home. See what you do, moms, to people, to kids, your kids' heads. But the greatest vines in the world, the greatest vines to run across were scutman vines. Now, I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that word. It is spelled S-C-U-P-P-E-R-N-O-N-G. So it should be pronounced scuppernong. We called them scutnants, like you had muscadines, you had scuppernongs. Get to middle Georgia, I find out some of the folks in middle Georgia call them scuplings. I don't know where the L came from, but it's in there somewhere. They're scuplings. We'll call them scuppernongs this morning because that's the way it's spelled, but I don't know. But I know you know what I'm talking about. And you'd get out in the woods and there would be these wild scuppernong vines and, and they'd be about the size of quarters. And you'd get those things and you'd pop one in your mouth and you'd bite into it. And I'm telling you, it is like bliss coming out of that thing. It is the sweetest, sweetest taste you've ever tasted, that nectar that comes out of them. You didn't chew the holes. If you chewed the holes, there's something wrong with you. And if you tried to eat the middle thing, there's seeds all in it. So you just really got rid of all that. It was just that little juice that you wanted to get to. 
And whenever Jesus talks about, I am the vine, and you, that always brings that to my mind. Always brings me back to that and seeing these scuffling vines growing out just in the wild and just be covered with these berries all over them. And Jesus does that kind of thing when he's talking to people. Jesus does that kind of thing when he's talking to people to bring things to their minds just the same way as that brings it to my mind. In this scripture, Jesus had just instituted the Lord's Supper with the disciples. In the Lord's Supper, there were two elements, remember? He said, this is my bread, uh, this is the bread, this is my body, take it and eat it. And then he says, this cup, this cup, and he holds up a cup of wine in front of him that would be like the color of blood, it'd be red. And he said, this cup is my blood that's poured out for you. As often as you drink it, remember me. It represents his blood. And he told his disciples to eat the bread representing his body and to drink the fruit of the vine representing his blood. And now later in this meal, after he's already done that, later in the meal, he starts talking about a vine. He's pulling that thought forward to these guys is what he's doing. Remember this. Remember the fruit of the vine because he's already said, I'm not going to drink this again until my kingdom comes. He's bringing all of this memory forward and pulling it all forward to them and helping them think about what, what it is that he's trying to say here. Do you guys remember the phrase that we used to use all the time, you are what you eat? You remember that one? You are what you eat? You know, that is truth, right? You eat junk food, you start feeling junky, you start looking junky. It just happens that way. You eat better foods, you start feeling better, you start looking better. It just That's just the way this thing works. You are what you eat because when you eat something, it's not just for the taste and the pleasure and all the things that go on in your brain. When you eat something, it goes into your body, it gets digested, it becomes a part of who you are. It nourishes your body. It becomes a part of you. It abides in you. Now, I thought about this, and I thought, Randy, you should not say this, but, you know, we eat an awful lot of cow. I'll leave it there. It becomes a part of us. It becomes a part of us. It nourishes us. It, it becomes a part of who we are. And this is where Jesus is taking these guys to. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness and the tempter said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be turned to loaves of bread. You remember that? You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said back to him, it is written, <clears throat> excuse me, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus using that same analogy here, that what makes us live, what makes us alive, what nourishes us is the word of God, is the son of God. Jesus' words is nourishment to our souls. He abides in us. He is as close, the point that he wants to make there is that he is as close to us as the very food we eat. He is that close. He is that much of us is what he's saying here. That he's not a thought, he's not a concept, he's not something to believe in. He is an actual part of who we are. He's as close as the breakfast you had this morning. He is becoming a part of us. And hold that thought. Verse 1, he says, I am the true vine and my father's the vine dresser. Now right here, I just have to put something right in your face. 
Just have to stick it right in your face here. You've got to make a decision when you hear this because Jesus is making a claim about himself here that you have to decide what you're going to do with it. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. My father is who? My father is God. So Jesus is saying here that I am the son of God. You have to decide what you're going to do with that because if if he is the son of God, then what we're about to talk about makes sense and is important. And if he's not the son of God, then what we're talking about this morning is gibberish and is a waste of your time. And you've got to just sit there and go through your grocery list for a while. Who is this man? You can't hedge on this one. You can't say, well, Jesus has got good things to say. No, not really. He doesn't. Because if he is not God's son, he is a lunatic. Why are you listening to him? Oh, he's got some good proverbs. Well, there's lots of books with good proverbs in it. What are you going to do with this guy? So if we take Jesus at his word this morning, then his father's role is the vine dresser. Have you guys watched How It's Made on television? Greatest program around. In 30 minutes, man, you can learn how everything is made. I learned how raisins were made the other day. Isn't that exciting? Sun-made raisins, no less. Not exactly how they were made, per se, but how they came from where they were and got in the box and got to the house and all that kind of stuff. But what's cool about that episode was is they had the guy out in the field pruning the vines. And the narrator said, the narrator said, when the worker prunes off these limbs, it makes the vine healthier so it will produce more and sweeter fruit. See, that's Jesus' work in an image that everybody here knows already. Every branch of me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he prunes that it will bear more fruit. How it's made is teaching us about God. What is the purpose of God pruning his branches? So the branches that aren't pruned off will grow sweeter and better fruit. And what makes that happen? Well, what makes that happen is Jesus, the true vine, is nourishing them. He pours his life into them. All they do is hang there. You ever seen a branch do anything? Branch just sits there, right? Just sits there. But man, as time passes, the branch flowers and the grapes grow. And before you know it, you're walking through the woods and there's that quarter-sized scutman sitting up there and you want to fight somebody to get to the thing. Because it bore fruit. The branches that aren't pruned off grow sweeter and more fruit. And that happens because Jesus nourishes them. And I'm sitting in Vermont and that's where my hope starts to come back. Do you hear it? Do you hear it in the scripture? Jesus says very plainly in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. You know what? It is not my job, it is not my job to devise a way to cause a revival in the United States. It's not our job to change these people's minds that are doing all this crazy stuff. It's not my job to figure out a way to reach gray for Christ. My job is, our job is, to simply abide in Christ. 
That's our job. That's God's will for our life. Abide in him. Remember what we talked about to start with. Communion, the bread, the juice. Taking these things as our nourishment so they become a part of who we are. Abiding in Christ means that we live in union with him. We hear his words. We learn his ways. We step into union with him. We make our choice to know him, to walk with him. And as we do that, naturally, because he's nourishing us, we start doing the things that we're supposed to do. We bear fruit naturally. I don't know about you guys. That just takes the weight of the world off my shoulders that I don't have to learn all these different things to do. What I have to do is to learn him. And then he grows out of me. One of the most important things for us to understand is that it is God's will for us to change the world around us. He wants it. He wants our success. He says so. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's not the Santa Claus verse. It doesn't mean that you're a Christian and you can ask for whatever you want to. And anybody that teaches you that, that's heresy. What this does say is that if you abide in Christ, if you step into union with him, if he becomes your nourishment, physically, mentally, spiritually, if we abide in Christ, his thoughts become our thoughts, his ways become our ways, I start to want what he wants. I ask for the things that he wants to have happen because we both want the same thing to occur. It's what gives our lives value. That's what changes Vermont. In Baltimore is what changes gray. Jesus says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and to prove to be my disciples. We're supposed to gather together and worship and glorify God. We join together, we sing praises, we hear sermons, we pray prayers, we do all the things that we do, and that can be acceptable worship to Christ, but he is glorified when I do what comes naturally as a child of God, I abide in him. I abide in him. I let his spirit nourish me with his word. I listen to his word. I let it sink into my mind. I take it to heart. I let the Holy Spirit apply that to me. And I'm changed. And as I'm changed, I bear fruit. And some of the fruit comes out of the way I behave. And some of the fruit comes from the fact that the people around me are changed. People around me hear what's going on and they understand who Jesus is and they're changed because of him abiding in me. And all of this, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I think my Vermont friends have the right attitude and I'm telling you, you can make friends in Vermont just like that. Everybody will talk to you. Everybody's got the thing. Do you know that if you need your toilet bowl cleaned, if you'll go down to Dollar General, they have some stuff called Snowbowl. S-N-O-B-O-L. It will remove everything. It's better than Lime Away. It's better than the others. I learned that in Vermont. <laughs> Standing in line at the Dollar General to get whatever it was I was at, this lady was just gushing about Snowbowl. I learned about NASCAR more than I ever wanted to know while I was there. It was, I'm telling you, it was incredible. I believe they sort of have the idea, I believe they sort of have the idea right there. They move as fast as we do. They seem to be 
going about the things that they go about with the same intensity that we do, but they have a little different attitude in the back of their heads that, you know, if it don't happen today, that's all right. We'll get it tomorrow. If we don't get it tomorrow, we'll get it the next day. It's going to be good. What are you stressing for? Don't stress. It's all good. It's all good. And I think we do that with the church. I think we've made Jesus too hard. I really think we've made Jesus way, way too hard. I think abiding in him is the secret. To take a little bit of time to, to let his word nourish us, to listen to what he's really saying, let it sink in a little bit, and then watch him change us as, as we go along. We won't change Baltimore today. We won't change it this week and all the things that all these people are talking about, they are all as crazy as a Betsy bug. We're going to fix it. Yeah, they've been fixing it now for how many years? There's one thing that fixes the problems that we've got and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in order for that to happen, he has to change us so we can change them by letting him do it through us. Abide in Christ. We'll change the world and they won't even know they've been changed until one day they wake up and realize who he is because of what he's doing through us. And Father, we thank you for giving us the assurance that you're going to do that with us. And Lord, I know we talk about abiding and, and we, we, we wonder how, what do we do? And yet you've told us over and over how listen to your word and we pray and we be still for a minute. So Father, this week I pray for every person in this congregation as they leave from here that you make them be still for a minute. That you take five minutes a day out of their life. Torment them for a minute if you have to to make them sit down and think and make us read a verse or two and let it sink into our being. Father, our, our world is starving to death and it's starving to death because we're starving. Please, Father, cause us cause us to hunger for you and then to reach for your word and be filled. Help us to abide in you so that when the people of this world pull on us, they'll get a burst of sweetness that will change their lives. Please, Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I said it in the middle of the sermon, I said that you have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And you do. All of us do. We have to decide who he is. Is he the Lord and Savior that he claims to be? Or is he a lunatic that doesn't deserve to be followed? And there is no in-between. You can try to hedge it and make it an in-between, but there is no in-between. The man claimed to be God. If somebody walks up to me now and says they're God, I don't listen to them very much because they are nuts, right? And yet here's Jesus 
saying, I am the son of God. And he was buried and he was resurrected from the dead three days later and that proves it. He overcame death. He overcame life. He overcame everything for us. If you believe that Jesus did that, you can trust him as your savior and he will take you to heaven when you die. But more importantly, he will do what we talked about a minute ago, become your nourishment to change you and make you into the person that you truly want to be. Not some pious, hand-folded maniac, but a person that can go to work every day with comfort and peace in their heart and assurance that whatever comes along, I can handle it and that he'll send somebody to talk to you that will need what you've got. And that'll happen. You turn to him, turn away from your life and turn to him and say, I trust you. If you've done that, I invite you, and you've never told anybody, I invite you to come down in just a moment when we sing and let me know. If you want to join the church, come down and let me know. If you want to come to the altar and pray, pray, pray where you are. You have three minutes. The world is outside the doors. Don't waste those three minutes. Take just a moment and be still before the Lord.